Hi folks, before we start the podcast, just ask you to support us. It's really, really simple. We need people to put their hands in their pockets to keep this platform going. It's once a month. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It's the price of a fancy cup of coffee. And if you try it now, you get it for the full month and you've no long-term contracts. If you don't think it's good value for money, go ahead and cancel it at the end of the month. No harm, no foul. But I do think there's hundreds of additional bits of content available now. You don't have to listen to these, please. You get the podcast as quickly as we can turn them around. And you get access to the likes of our Sunday show, which is back where we talk live with our with our members. And we take questions from the audience. We can have, you know, we'll have a conversation about some of the stories of the week and special guests drop in. Uh, the conversation you're about to hear is from a couple of weeks ago with Catherine Connolly. You're also missing out on conversations I had with Holly Kearns. All of those will eventually come out as quickly as we can, but we d- we patrons get it first. It's really, really simple. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise We'd really appreciate it. It helps keep these mics on. It helps keep the platform viable. And it means we don't have to become part of that corporate podcast hierarchy that I keep railing against uh, and taking a bit of flack for railing against, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, we, we, we plow on. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. If you can, one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise It would be really appreciated. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and we are back uh, earlier, th- earlier than planned. I, I, I think I told uh, members of the Tortoise Shack that I was taking a few days off and we still managed to put out three or four podcasts over that period. Uh, but yet uh, it, it was it was lovely to, to be away away from it for, for about 36 hours or whatever it was I managed. Uh, I am. The reason I was I was keen to do this podcast is because People on social media may have seen last week when, when the government had its confidence vote uh, in itself, they, they, uh, they, they opened the floor up to some people to give them some criticism back. And I know it was kind of a little bit underwhelming because ultimately they had their huge majority and they are a huge majority, make no mistake. But one of the people who spoke brilliantly about it, and I put it, I say that now as, uh, as without, without trying to, I, I don't hide my biases. I think, I think, I think this person spoke brilliantly. Uh, Independent TD, Catherine Connolly. Catherine, this was just a moment whereby you spelled it out in simple terms. Can I ask you again to 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 outline it to, to listeners why you weren't keen to vote for this government and what you and how it was such an easy decision for you? Uh, thanks, Tony. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to talk. It's a bit surreal with this beautiful weather, and I'm sitting in Galway with the sun shining in through the window you know it's yeah. usually wind and rain so it's all a little surreal well i won't um, i won't keep you too long i'll let you get no out no you're okay it's it's just it's unusual the circumstances are unusual and i think perhaps maybe that captures my feeling in the doll for a very long time i seem i'm seen to exist in a surreal space with a uh, number of my colleagues and you're, you're sort of there scratching your head and saying which who's mad or who's wrong in this situation or where are we going? And so it was really funny, actually, because I belong to a technical group and we had very little time. We had, I think we were going to have about one minute something. And then a few speakers didn't want to avail of that time. And um, so I ended up with two minutes and a couple of seconds. And I, I think my contribution in English was less than two minutes. So um, the reaction to it is a bit overwhelming for me because... It was less than two minutes. And I see uh, in my role as Glaskiangorla as well, I see how hard TDs and ministers work. And I'd like to put that on the record. And I've never been part of that converse or that 
level of talk where they talk about oh, the TDs are going off now on their holidays, that's inaccurate. It's just, it's, that is inaccurate. TDs work hard and ministers work very hard. So I had no problem acknowledging that. My difficulty is their policies and their policies are creating the problems. There's just no escaping from that uh, reality and that truth. The last time we spoke, we, we were talking about, again, housing always comes up, Catherine. You know this. It's it's yeah, always yeah, housing. It's yeah. always central to it. We see, obviously, over the weekend, uh, headlines about another 450 million going towards it. What what we were told was gone away, enhanced leasing. But Galway is is far from um, immune to the, these problems. There's huge issues with housing in Galway. Well, Galway, actually, in my opinion, is, is the worst in the country. In my opinion, it's worse than Dublin. And we have a major housing crisis. And just before this interview, I was looking at the headlines from last week's local paper. And Afina Fall councillor is on record for saying she was hoodwinked in relation to a vote. And uh, um, this, this seems very parochial. But we have a city council in Galway, which is very central. And a decision has been made by management to move that out to the suburbs. Uh on the basis that we would get social and affordable housing on the site in Galway. Uh, I'm going back to read the details, but the vote went in favour of management. And now Fianna Fáil councillor has said they were hoodwinked because it is not clear at all when, when the council moves out what will go on that site right in the middle of the city. And that's an example of decisions being taken that are certainly not for the common good. A decision without proper open debate and accountability and involving a developer site and so on. I won't go into the details, but why I mention it is nothing has changed since I became a councillor in 1999, which is 21, 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing has changed. We, we, ha- we, we, we kneel in adoration to the God of the market. And if we dare to question that, we're negative, we're anti-business, which is so far from the truth, because I am pro-business, pro-development, but in a sustainable way for the maximum good, not for the few. And there are solutions. There are solutions to our problems. I think, Tony, that's one of the most frustrating aspects, that the spin from the government is that we're against or we're negative or we don't put forward solutions. We're blue in the face putting forward solutions, given alternative ways of looking at these challenges from housing to public transport, climate change, and indeed COVID and what we should have learned from COVID. But yet, I'll stop talking. I'll let you No, ask. no, 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 Catherine. It's a really no, important yeah. point because we learned lessons. Well, sorry. We, we saw how quickly things could change during COVID. And then they asked us to forget all that. So we're now facing, we're, we're less than a few weeks away from the highest number of people homeless, homeless. in this, in this yeah. country. That's where we are right now. And yeah. we're supposed to ignore the evidence of our own eyes to realize that when we took steps, drastic measures as they want to put them, it actually brought it down. We reduced it yeah. um, during, during COVID. And we're supposed to pretend that that doesn't matter. And as you put it, all in, all in, all in favor then of the uh, support of the market because we the market is more important and that is that that is a crucial point that that we try to get across to listeners on this podcast. There are we, we know there are solutions because they implemented them. They actually implemented them themselves and then said, "Well, we only did it as a, as a temporary measure," but now we're seeing these these these. You know, the, I saw today the talk talk of. Um, the government uh, doing things for student accommodation. Galway has huge student accommodation crisis. I, I got Galway. One of I was. It, I think I'm right in saying. I think was it last twenty 
2021 where even Galway uh, County Council only built something like 12 homes. It was... In the, the City Council, of which I was a proud member for quite a long time, stopped building public housing in 2009. Mm. Up to then, we got quarterly reports on the proposals for housing, where they were, the status of those proposals. And from 2009 onwards, in the final column, it said construction suspended. Yeah. So 2009, 10, 11, 12, I forget which year they started to have a trickle of new houses, perhaps 20, 2021. Mm. So this, the housing crisis was manufactured. It did not happen overnight. It is a direct result of different, of um, numerous governments' policies. And unfortunately, and I never tire saying this because it's important, Fine Gael and Labour copper fastened that by bringing in the housing assistance payment mm. and making it part of our law that you were adequately housed if you were in a private house receiving a housing assistance payment. And to me, that was a major part of the problem. We They abdicated their responsibility for building housing. I, I, can I can I come in on that because I want to re I want to reinforce what you've just said there. It's crucial that when we turn around and they say because we allowed people to actually say we, one of the phrases I use a lot and get in trouble with listeners is I often say what gets measured gets done. But if you change the goalpost like they did by saying HAP is is social housing, they like at one stage. Own Murphy's tenure, they counted a HAP tenancy as a new build and the numbers for social homes. It was not a new, yeah. yeah. I mean, they literally, it, it was, if they, if they signed a HAP tenancy and the government's, the IG, Irish government's economic evaluation service said for yes, every, the EGs, yeah. yeah, said for every HAP tenancy in Dublin, the state would be able to build two social houses themselves because they factored out over the life of a HAP tenancy. So think about that. That was economically incompetent. But I, I, I think you frame it better, Catherine, by saying it was because they're enthralled to the market. The market must deliver, not yeah. not the state. And when the state when the state withdraws from its 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 international requirement to provide housing as a human right, this is where we are now, and we're, we're faced with the situation. Can I ask you, like like even in your in your constituency work, I'm I'm, I'm assuming housing is the main thing where people are knocking on your door. For- oh, oh. Housing, health, housing and health are just, and you know, as well as that, one time you could go up to the city council with a housing applicant and support them and stand with them in solidarity and go back every six months. That all stopped. Before COVID, that stopped. But COVID has intensified that. So everything we do now is by email. So somebody in Gaulin on the housing wait list, maybe 14 years, no exaggeration. And I have to do it by email. I can't accompany that person to the city council and say, look, you know, where where is the person on the list? When are they likely to get a house? So that human element is also gone, which is very, very distressing. But HAP has to go. And now we're in this, again, I use the word surreal. We're in this surreal situation where opposition and organisations on the ground are calling for more money to go into HAP. Yeah. Even though they don't believe in HAP, we're now in a situation where they're calling for more money to go into HAP because, and Galway is a perfect example, there are no houses available under the HAP uh, criteria. Even the extent, even the increase in the um, level, there are no houses available. And so we have this bizarre situation where we need to put more and more public money into the private market, creating just, and of course, I, I can see the need for that, 
but that has to be limited. That this has to stop. We have to make a statement that HAP will be phased out, that the government will build public housing on public land, change the criteria, increase the threshold of income. It's way too low. Mm. Get rid of the idea of social housing. I talk about public housing. It should be indistinguishable. And it's an absolute obscenity to talk about putting private houses on public land. That public land belongs to all of us. And if we build public housing on it, that's a public asset. Mm. And there are so many advantages to that. It's given a strong message to the market that the government are there to provide homes, that homes are the most basic ingredient of a civilized society to allow people to have security and so on. I've said this so often, Tony, you could be given to despair, really, Mm. because it's just it's common sense. Uh, But but Uh, but when you have a market that when we have a, a currently I, I put it to you that if we sat down here, me, you and Dara O'Brien, he'd say, I agree with that. We the, we should be providing yes. X number. And yet yes. all the budget is going towards, you know, like when you, you look at the, the, the bill to rent being, being responsible for 82 percent of all apartments built. When you look at, you know, the the they're saying we have a public site here on the Oscar Trainer Road. Well, we, you know, a similar kind of deal. They're talking about. Uh, cost rental like 400 cost rental units that's not going to get it done we need thousands of these units across the country and unless we were doing that we're not actually taking it for we're not taking it seriously i i, I want to ask you one one more thing on, on housing though it's they like as i said the likes of uh dara o'brien would probably agree with us but at the, but all of their subsidies all of their schemes are tailored at actually maintaining certain profit lines and maintaining house prices at a certain level oh yeah that that, that, that is the, that's the subtitles they're, they're the subtitles of the script that's in the door that one doesn't see the subtitles but that's exactly what's going on on every level and so we're left we're left you know the help to buy scheme is an appalling scheme but the government are telling us it's a wonderful scheme and that we're against home ownership but it's an appalling scheme, and we have two reports now on it, one from the EGs that you mentioned already and, and the other from the Budgetary Office. And it has clearly helped those who least need help, to put it simply. The people who had enough of a deposit to buy a house for houses up to 600,000. Mm. So I, I think for things to change no more than climate change and COVID and what we should learn from that, there has to be an acknowledgement that we need fundamental change. Mm. That doesn't mean violent revolution. That doesn't mean it means a fundamental change in the way that we do business, because it's not possible. The planet is finite and we can't go on as if it's not finite. And I'm really worried that climate change actually is, is, is it's been misused. We have not learned that. If we go back to COVID and I come to climate change, let's look at COVID and the hospital system wasn't ready, couldn't cope. Here we are, we're into our third year now after COVID. Mm. And I have no idea as a TD what measures have now been taken so that the hospital system has been strengthened, what we've learned from it, how we have public health locally so we're aware who the public health person is and what steps have been taken. On the contrary, Tony, what I see is somebody on a trolley. We all have these anecdotes, but it's really important. This is more than an anecdote. Somebody on a trolley for six, seven days, and then they get a bed. 
Now, as I said in the doll, that's not unusual. Unfortunately, that's typical. That's typical. And at the same time, we have officials from the health executive over in Benidorm at the launch of a private hospital. Staggering. An absolutely could, staggering story. Couldn't make it up. Couldn't and, and, make it up. And the individual, and I'm not, to, I, I'm just going to, I'm not asking you to comment on it, but the fact that the individual involved was involved with the NAGP, which was a discredited organization that was involved in the, the controversy around the, the leaked document around the, the, the deal that, that, the tarnish that was so caught up in that you actually um, that you asked him about so memorably, you know, when did he realize he'd done something wrong? Um, yeah. But uh, like you couldn't make it up like, like the no. same the same people involved. Uh, uh, it, it, it's staggering to think that that's that's where we are. But I often I often make the point that, you know, there's there's there. You, you use the word about 10 minutes ago about accountability. We're not great on accountability, but be it political or within or within within business and we, we only have to look at how you know there was a huge scandal uh, Catherine and I don't know if you paid much attention to it but they were, ta- they were calling about the Uber files about who Uber yes. was trying to yes yeah. can, can I say I didn't think it was a huge scandal at all because I think it goes on all the time, in, all the time. In, in, can I can I I'd love to get your thoughts on it because it does seem that we are very there's a revolving door between lobbyists and many of whom were politically linked to parties of government and have ne- are now in the lobbying industry what I, I, I what do you say on it because it seems to me that the, oh, the transparency there is terrible terrible absolutely and we need urgent legislation to change the situation and like i read i, I didn't read the details of this the first scandal that you mentioned in relation to the hospital i've put it aside to read but i did read the uber one I, and again, like you, on one level I was shocked, on another level I wasn't a bit shocked. And I thought, what is the story here? The story is that actually the press, along with us and the doll, have failed to keep this as a major issue because there have been so many. And uh, it, it, John Morn was taken, came from the banking sector into the department as secretary general or general secretary. I have usually get them back to front. And then subsequently he's made the head of um, the Land Development Agency, temporary, which I thought was just mind-boggling uh, altogether. Mm. The Land Development Agency that's now been tasked with looking at public land with the view to doing public-private partnerships and that. Somebody else there now. I, we'll, yeah. I'll, I'll let you continue that now, but I want to make a point for listeners that I think it was, I've had people on this podcast who would be seen to be adversarial towards John John's um, capabilities when it comes to delivering public house on public land given his private industry background so go carry on Catherine sorry well no 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 you're just he he was appointed on a temporary basis to the land development agent since then we've put it on a statutory footing and there's a different head now but and actually they were tasked with one one urgent matter and that was to do an audit of all the public land in Ireland and today they have failed to do that they failed to do it when they were on a non-statutory footing and they failed to do it on a statutory footing to tell us what public land we have. Um, so I go back again to what I started out with, which was very parochial, the, the moving out of a city council, which is a bad decision, in my opinion. If a city council is there to serve and should be an integral part, we're moving it out to the suburbs, done on a deal which seems to be, and I'd be careful, seems to be behind closed doors. But certainly when you have a headline where a councillor says they were hoodwinked into voting, what have we learned? Absolutely. 
Mm. We're back to doing the, uh, uh, you know, uh, last night I woke up in the middle of the night and I listened back to the news program on Saturday. And uh, the the next scandal about to, to um, break is the apartments from a particular period, uh, the defective apartments. And we're about to have that report. Um, and again, no urgency. The report will be published sometime between now and the end of the year. But that's the next MICA. It's not MICA, but it's yeah, defective it's, it's defects, defective yeah, defect. buildings. It's, it's and I, 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 I'm loath to give him a bit of credit, but Ono Brin's book is, is his most recent book called yeah. that out. You know, over a year yeah. ago, this was yeah. this was a ticking time bomb that we were going to the state was going to have to deal yeah, with. And again, if you put a personal face on that, I, I can think of a family straight away with hmm. this water egress, as the official term into the apartment it's a living nightmare for them chances are it's one of those apartments but in mm. the meantime yeah it was an affordable apartment they went to great trouble to buy it council washed their hands of it but they want the mortgage and so on and and the personal stories are just terrific and that's bad enough but we're back into deals all over again we're back into deals with developers only this time now we're giving away our public land yeah. in the guise of it's, it's strange, really, you know, with all the reports on um, sexual abuse and the, um, which I, I'm very much familiar with, and the different institutions and the Rhine report and all of that, and people became very skeptical of religion and rightly so. But we replaced one God with another. Mm. I, we simply I, replaced one God with another and put in the God of the market. I, I often worry that uh, we, yeah, we did. We we swapped them with uh, with lads who maybe go to go to work on a Friday in a t-shirt and and uh, tell us that this is casual Friday and this is casual capitalism. But nonetheless, yeah, it's a it's a it's a very it's a very uh, prevalent issue. And I don't we're not going to solve it today. But I, I no. would like to I would like to to and by the way. Catherine is right. There are lots of solutions. We have we have the means to do these things. We still have access to the market to do to do them, despite the fact that things are are really volatile at the moment. I will ask you about about climate climate change because yes. it's taken a back backward step in the last while. I see it as you know yes. the, the uh, there's the infighting that's going on between the government. All of the the mood music is made, and I actually. Yeah. I'm going to say something that get myself in trouble. I saw people criticizing the Sunday Business Post yesterday, Daniel Murray's article about the infighting that's going on between the parties and the pressure being put on the Greens to come back on some of their yeah. things. Actually, Daniel is one of the one of the best uh, environmental uh, journalists. I, I put it to you in this, to put it to the listeners. He's actually just reporting what's what's happening. That's not that's not like journalism is not a crime, folks. And I, and I don't like I don't like to see that. Anyway, Catherine, nonetheless, my yes. my, per, my personal beef uh, put out there now. Can I can I ask you the we saw how quickly we could act when it came to COVID. We've seen how quickly we can act when it came, comes to the war in Ukraine and what's been done. But now that agenda has been used to say, well, actually, we need we need more coal, we need LNG, we need all of these things, and, and everything else has been put on the back burner. Yet it's going to be a record-breaking day today in in Ireland. It's there's 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 warnings across the across the the EU for thousands of people have been displaced in France, and forest fires are burning in in France, Portugal, and Spain. I mean, are we are we just mad? Think, you know, I use that word sometimes too easily. Mad, you know, and I, I think the people who are actually suffering from mental disorders and that. So I, I just, I'd be careful. I, I use that, but yes, mad probably captures it in that sense. I, I <laughs> we're going backwards. We yeah. have learned nothing. You talk about COVID. We didn't actually learn from COVID. 
Because if we had learned from COVID, we would have a report back from the government on a regular basis on the changes that have been put in place for isolation facilities and hospitals, for for decentralisation of our public health system. So it's part of us on a regional and a local basis. In terms of climate change, we are continuing on with the big boys and some big girls, the same model that has led to the disaster in the first place. Only now we've put in wind farms or other uh, types of energy. But with the same model of endless consumption. And that's my difficulty. And we are now, we, we are at the same time then putting legislation through the doll to make it more and more difficult for ordinary people to participate in the planning process, which we saw in the last few weeks of the doll. A shocking undermining of democracy. And we are utterly dependent on good people on the ground. All of the cases, the last one, not the last, but one, one of the most um, important ones, a year or two ago, the Supreme Court quashed the mitigation, the climate mm. mitigation plan. And it was an organisation on the ground that went to great trouble to bring that. 2019 it was now. We're utterly dependent, and the, the courts have repeatedly said this, that there's a trinity in the planning laws. There's the local authority, or poor planola, the developer plus the person, the person on the ground. And it seems to me that's the most important person. And we're making it much more difficult for them. And so we go back to climate change. In Galway, and these are just parochial examples, but a general application. In Galway, the council did the right thing. The officials, under great stress because there are a huge amount of vacancies, um, called the west side a carbon free zone or a decarbonisation zone. Brilliant idea. Near the university, a large area predominantly working class, that label has stayed there for two years now with absolutely nothing done about it. No sense of urgency, no sense of community ownership of the windmills to make it attractive, no discussion of what we will do when all of the materials that we're using become obsolete. What do we do? What is the long-term plan? What is the cost? All of that and an endless adoration of um, data centres without questioning of what data are we keeping here? Why is it so important? Where does it fit into the ecological map and so on? Um, and again, people are way ahead of us, Tony. Back, to, I, I'm in the door and I'm listening to recycling. I feel like pulling my hair out because 20 years ago in Galway, we did this mm. theoretically. Huge questions where it went to when it was exported. But theoretically, the people led us with recycling. I've said this so often. What did they do? They they took the um, the authority from the local councillors for making the the plan, the waste management plan, mm. and then they privatised the refuse service. Yeah. So uh, we knew then. I picked up Michael McGoughan's book. Um, he, he, Michael McGoughan writes articles on South America, and on he's done a very good a, a number of um, articles, small books on Shell to the Sea. I picked it up yesterday in two thousand and eight. Climate was major in the Shell to Sea campaign, mm. amongst many other issues, health and safety. And and the, the, the armory of the state was lined up against them. But climate change was major in 2008. Ignored, ignored. And not alone that, but the energy supply wasn't uh, taken for the common good and, and so on. And, yeah, I, no, we, we, I think we, we need people, more and more people on the ground. The change has to come from the ground. And even when it does, like in Galway, which it did 20 years ago, they came back. 
the the tide was held back for a little while and then the tide came in. Yeah. I think we have to realise what we're up against. God of the market doesn't capture it, but well, it's 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 actually a really it's a, it's 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 fascinating because okay, I'll give you an, a real real life example that's that's playing out in front of our eyes right now. The the kites are being flown around um, childcare, saying you know we're now going to the state is going to step in and subsidise childcare. Now, in a functioning, I put it to you, in a functioning uh, democracy and, and and a country as wealthy as as one as one as ours. Uh, that that it shouldn't need to be subsidies. It should be a free service. So we're going to actually subsidize parts of the market to provide exactly. that. And and yet it's been. I'm reading articles saying, aren't they great? They're stepping up and doing right. this. And and, yeah. and this is where the disconnect is. We should be asking ourselves, no, why why are we accepting that? What ultimately is going to be the state is subsidizing a a market that is 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 failing and and failing badly in many ways. Rather than actually saying, do you know for every euro we put into um, early childhood preschool education, we tend to get four back in terms of, and I, and I hate to be this bean counter, but as an economic unit and not a citizen, but as an economic unit, the, peop- the children have less uh, learning prob- problems later on in life and, and, de- and therefore have more earning capabilities. I, I, I hate to be such a, a bean counter. About it, no, even- I, I agree. I agree with you totally, and I'm really glad you raised it because I had the same feeling looking at those headlines. And I thought, here we go again. It's exactly like that. We're going to bolster the market. We're going to keep the prices high. And if we, there again, we've learned nothing from COVID, like I said, because that was one essential ingredient that we should have learned that we need public childcare. We need public childcare. That's what we need. And that's one thing we should have learned. We need more hospital capacity. We need public health to mean something to us. We need a plan for the next whatever we're going to face. And childcare is one of the most important ingredients of that plan. And yet we have this adoration in the media of great progress, not realising it's the exact same model as we did with HAP, which is a disaster. It's going to be the, it'll be ultimately the most cost inefficient way of delivering a service that the state could do on its own. Um, with the same, like people won't lose their jobs, they'll have actually more no, secure, right. they'll have more that's secure right. work. You know, it's a similar with this myth of that. Well, if the state starts building, it'll be worse. No, it won't. I mean, we have a huge problem in construction with bogus self employment. So let's, let's give these people work with local authorities and, um, and, and some sort of state like the, the LDA go out there and do the bloody work. Catherine, I'm, I'm conscious of time. Yeah. I just want to, I want to ask you um, that the the charade that's going to play out and sorry for, for using that word, maybe it's inappropriate, but the charade that's going to play out in my mind with the handover from, you know, uh, Taoiseach to Tanishta and then a reshuffling of the cabinet, none of that's going to change anything. Where do you, do you feel this, like, do you remember the last all? And I think when we first spoke, we referred to the last, not when we last spoke, when we first spoke several yeah. years ago, yeah. we called the last all the do nothing doll because some of them were like the amount of stuff that they just yes. sort of sat on. Yes. This is, this is really panto. Uh, uh, and where are we, where are we going for the next two years? If, if it's just going to continue as business as usual and we're all going to be entertained well, by, by a change in the he, seats. I, I think EVA play and other, other organisations and groups like you will play a vital role because we're not going to get it from mainstream media. We're not going to get a questioning from mainstream media. And I remind myself on a daily basis that it's a privilege and I'm well paid. 
And I have to do that because I, I think anybody semi-sane wouldn't stay in politics, really, particularly if you don't play the game. And it is a game. And luckily, I had a long experience at council level where I realized I used to call it the boys club. But it's not entirely fair because there are women in it as well. But you were either in the club or not in the club. And I think we see that with whistleblowers and they have great courage. You know, they're not part of the club. They step outside of God. Are, do they, are they punished for that? And unfortunately, that is the model. I often smile wryly when I think of bullying at school and how we deal with bullying at school. When the system is geared for bullying. The system is geared politically to exclude, to ostracize. And I suppose I'm in a privileged position that I'm paid and I see that. And I try to I try to use that for as long as I can. Is it hard? Very hard. Have I hope in the political system? Yes and no. I, uh, democracy is an illusion, but it's the only illusion we have, actually. <laughs> and in, in the history of the world, it's a relatively new phenomenon. And... The forces lined up for neoliberalism and that spin are huge. So sometimes I take hope that there is an alternative narrative despite the dominance of that spin. Uh, and other times I despair. But I suppose that's life, really. Um, and all we can do is keep going. I, I think the last doll wasn't a bad doll. The first doll that I went into, I think there was a range of voices that are sorely missed. Of course, I'm biased. Maureen, Maureen O'Sullivan is gone, Claire Daly is gone, Mick Wallace is gone. And other people went, and Tommy Bruin, of course, I'm biased about that, but we lost all of their voices. So that doll to me was, a, there was a wide spectrum of people. Uh, of course, the biggest fear for me is the growth of a right wing, which we've avoided so far. But, but because yeah. of this. It's, it, it is, it's certainly there. It's, it's, it's yeah. much more visible. It's actually, it's infiltrated uh, parts of the, the the I don't want to say mainstream, but certainly has you know the talking points have been adopted by by parts of of our mainstream. I I, I will ask you one question because you just raised it there. How do you feel about Mick and Claire now that they're that they've been you know they've been pushing buttons and they've been they you know they it's hard to point at some of like. Claire and Mick have made some really, really powerful points in the European Parliament. But I mean, I spoke to them myself uh, uh, on, on this podcast and, you know, trips to Syria, trips to these things, they do make us think about, you know, where in the geopolitical alignment of where where we are now. How how do you th do you think they've they've actually acquitted themselves well or, or do you think that, that I, do. I, I do, I do. I'm not up to speed on their latest. Um, but going back when they spoke out um, in relation to Ukraine and NATO in particular, I think it's a very good example of very powerful influences. There were well-placed articles in the Business Post, in the Irish Times and others. And I took the trouble to read Claire Daly's speech, the particular one that they were savaging her for. I found absolutely nothing to object to in her speech. I found that she absolutely condemned what Russia did. But she went on and highlighted NATO and their role leading up to the invasion of Russia. And I, I, Tony, there wasn't a single thing I disagreed with her. I think it was extremely difficult for her with what happened. I heard her being interviewed on RTE and I think she acquitted herself extremely well. And if we're going to do that, um, if we're going to react like that to someone that speaks honestly and prepared, God help us. 
God help democracy is all I can say. Well, there has to be a space for 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 voices for of those. Like one of the reasons we have these conversations is we have to allow that space. I I have you know covered the what events in Ukraine um, on this podcast, and I've spoken to uh, to continuously speak to two Ukrainian MPs, uh, members of parliament there, who would I wouldn't share my political views with them. They would they they but but simply put, I I. I can, and I, I'm glad that we that that's the that that is the the variance of voices that we have, but I also I also think you know watching watching Claire and Nick this you know this idea that that the story of Nick becoming the 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 lion's mane and whatever you know they made it this nickname for him and all of these things it it is it is it is a little bit disconcerting yet I also I also would love to see them. Um, I know they do their own podcast, they do their own things, so they're well able to speak for themselves. But I, but I, I, I do think in terms of the Irish media, they, they certainly, um, in, in the discourse, they, 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 I, I don't think they've done everything correctly. I do, I do think they've erred when it comes to Syria in particular. That's my, that's my personal, personal opinion on, on the Syrian situation. The U- Ukrainian one, you're very right to point out, they were adamant that both of them were adamant that what Russia was doing was illegal, was wrong, was abhorrent. And then they were, you know, talking about the, the, the wider geopolitical game because this is a wider geopolitical game. I, I was talking to someone the other day. A well-known economist, off, off air, and I made the point that you know much of no. One, why aren't we talking about the fact that India is picking up Russian gas and oil and selling it back to other countries? And you know these things are happening. And you're not a conspiracy theorist to point that out. And I just feel it's we're very quick, quick to say you know oh they've uh, they, they've gone off the reservation with some of these things. I, I think I, I I think the consensus mentality in relation to Ukraine is not acceptable. I think it poses a great threat consensus. I, I, I remember the day in the doll where Paul Murphy and his colleagues stood up, showed great respect to the um, to the presentation at the, on that day, and I stood up myself. They made a decision not to clap, and they were demonised for that. I don't accept that. They went in and showed respect and stood up. I actually felt nauseated in my clapping, I have to tell you, because I don't think war should ever be clapped. I, I actually, as a woman, I felt ill and then afterwards, there was this debate about the duration of our clapping and the intensity of our clapping, as opposed to a discussion about how have we got into a situation where we're facing a third world war. And all I can tell you is I still feel nauseated at that and the failure to analyse what led us. And more importantly, the failure to use our strong, neutral voice to bring peace, because at the end of the day, no matter what we think of Russia, we have to sit down and get a solution. Because the, the the alternative is unimaginable. And it's our duty to imagine it and to stop it. And we're not doing that. We're joining in with the consensus in Europe of the best boys and girls in the class, as opposed to a proud, independent nation with a strong voice that says we have to get peace. Plus, we're now in a situation where we are totally hypocritical when it comes to asylum seekers and refugees. And I don't know two-tier, three-tier system at the moment. And really, that in itself needs discussion. Mm. And we also need to look at the ongoing wars and who's driving those wars. 
And that's that's another debate, isn't it? Oh, really? I mean, another, I, I, another no, it's another interview. But again, it's very I call them all the time. I, I steal the phrase from Aaron Dahi Roy, where she talks about lifestyle wars. Wars fought elsewhere so we can maintain our standard of living. In, exactly. in, you know, and, and, and that is very true. And you can see them playing out as we as, as we're having this conversation. So, no, it's 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 a very fair point, And we don't like to talk about it because it might make us uncomfortable. I mean, I, I covered yes. the, the massacre in Malia recently and. That happened on the Euro- in the EU's watch. We have to. We, we're not honest about. It. There's a dishonesty at the heart of Fortress Europe and how we've outsourced. You know, we go, oh, the UK sending people to Rwanda, and we go, well, actually, we're paying Turkey and Lebanon millions Libya. upon millions, all Libya, all millions of, to to yeah. to do these things to people in our name, effectively. You know, so so let's so, let's. So, so- Plus, we're increasing our expenditure on military. And, that, and, and I think that's a really, I, I, we'll finish with that, Catherine. The spending budgets, I put it to you, that we want to talk about on, on military. So if we were to spend 2, 2%, which is what you're required to under, under NATO, it's equivalent to about $8 billion a year for Ireland, right? Which is just phenomenal. They're already talking about going to whatever it is, $2 billion, is, is this ambition. Simon Coveney announced it. And again, great, great uh, fanfare, not much okay. pushback. Um, and yet, for a fraction of that, if we did, if we had a similar sort of idea of NATO that we said everybody who's a member has to put up, not two percent, quarter of quarter of one percent, we could probably tackle the entire climate change in the one and a half percent that we need to do. That is a huge failing of of us as as a as a as a species. Absolutely, absolutely, I I, I agree with you. And again, we're back again to there are solutions. But if the problem is only presented in one way, with one version and one a consensus mentality, then we're in serious trouble. Mm. And that's that's what's happening all over. I'm actually reading a book on um, Jonathan Swift and the 18th century. So it'll tell you how it's it's wonderful. So that'll tell you how, how not wonderful the doll is when I'm, I'm living and breathing the 18th century and Jonathan Swift. And what strikes me is 300 years later, nothing has changed. The sewage was pouring into the Thames at that point. It's still pouring in in Cairo into the Atlantic. Spain, and of which um, Jonathan Swift was part of it for the powerful at the time, and the Whigs and Tories started at that point. And the Spain, the only difference, the only thing that has changed is uh, the amount of platforms that we have now to spin and that. But uh, so three, nothing has nothing has changed in terms of the market became dominant in that century. England became a world power in that century and so on, based on a slave trade, I might add, for all of the countries. And we're back today and we talk about modern slavery and human trafficking and and so on and fortress Europe. So um, an interesting world. Yeah, it's the curse of saying, may you live in interesting times. (laughs) Catherine Connolly, Independent TD for Galway. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a pleasure uh, and try and enjoy some of that sunshine, even if even if we look at it with a bit of trepidation. You know, uh, the the point is well made that it may be the it may be the last uh, it may be the the coolest summer we've ever had as we go forward. So let's be honest about it. Listen, folks, we're back shortly um, uh, with a pile of new podcasts coming to you over the next few days thanks so much for listening thanks for your support thanks for telling people couldn't do it without you really appreciate it talk to you all very very soon take care bye bye Tony and Martin Martin and Tony speaking to interesting people only it's the echo 
subscribe now on Patreon.